Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called How Do You Like Them Stamps? I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Bradley Philpot. How's it going, Brad? It's going really, really well. Were you excited today with the end of that race? I was fine. I was calm. I was excited with most of that race. I was shouting and getting told off for shouting. My family all ran downstairs. The children ran down sensing that something exciting was happening my wife was just shouting good thing or bad thing good thing or bad thing and i'm like i don't know i was being told off for frightening the cats well brad of course you're here for matt trumpet so you know how to replace him talk slowly make all your points over the course of five minutes rather than 30 seconds and you're good and refer to botas as botas and we're we're there We are an independent podcast hosted on MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. Although I will stress this isn't made for children. You just won't get in trouble for playing it. Uh, I'm also joined by Missed Apex regular and Neil Palmer. How's it going, Neil? Very well, Spanners. I have no idea what we're going to discuss today because that was a pretty dull race, wasn't it? We need to fix it. We need to change all the rules. Now then, Anil, I'm sure you're looking forward to talking about Renault and Force India with me later. Let's just move on. (laughs) Let's talk to our race strategist, Carty expert type man, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Alex? Going all good. Glad to be back on again. And we have a patron on board to help us with the chat room. A man that is undoubtedly slightly faster than me in a go-kart. I will get you next time. Uh, Peter, how's it going, Peter? I'm fine. Thank you, Spanners. Nice to see you all. Let's move on then and see what happened this weekend. Anil, this circuit has jumped up on the calendar over the last three years. And this year, though, 
nobody was surprised. Everyone saw this coming. Everyone was like, it's Baku. They were rubbing their hands together. Everyone was talking about safety cars as if it's a certainty. What do you make of this circuit? I think it's by far the best modern F1 track. You have these long straights, uh, some really tight corners. And unlike other street circuits like Monaco, which I know you're not a fan of, the cars have outgrown circuits like Monaco, but they can race here. And the only negativity about it is the fact that it's in Azerbaijan. If this track was anywhere else in the world, everyone would say it was the best track on the calendar. All right. So a little bit more about it. It's a street circuit. So why doesn't it, sorry, why doesn't it frankly suck like other street circuits do? Right. Well, if you look at Monaco or Singapore, they're very tight. The cars never really travel at high speed for a long periods of time. Whereas here, because that final sector is like a 40 second full throttle uh, section, you get proper slipstreaming. You actually get racing and the cars seem to be able to race. You don't get drivers coming on the radio saying, oh, I, you know, I can't overtake. I'm stuck here. They really go for it. And of course, there's not much runoff. So you get some if there is a mistake, it leads to a safety car, a virtual safety car. And as we'll discuss later, that's very good news for some of the midfield teams. Yeah, and it's got it's got lots of really long straights, followed by really sharp 90 degree corners, which give you the perfect opportunity to have a lunge like we've seen plenty of times today and get up the inside <laughs> and then has another corner going the other direction as well. So it gives the opportunities for cutbacks, um, which is always what you're looking for if you can't get somebody actually onto the apex of a corner. I lost count, even in practice, I lost count of the amount of yellow flags we had because the runoff here is kind of straight off. It's straight on at the corners. So if you make a mistake, you end up going into the runoff and then like reversing back out. Um, And that made qualifying really interesting because all it takes is a double yellow flag, yellow flag, and all of a sudden the driver's not going to get their fastest lap in. Um, So I really enjoyed watching drivers kind of do two or three fast laps again and again and then it was just kind of it's quite exciting to watch because there just seems to be a new driver going off all the time and then of course we had the Gasly Hartley incident oh um, yeah no go on which uh, was pretty pretty extraordinary expand on that for anyone who didn't uh, catch qualifying and then let me right then let oh, me okay. interject as well Brad's desperate to okay, get so I don't I don't know what's actually I don't know what actually happened to Brandon Hartley, but in the final, I think the very end of sector two, the downhill run, um, he was going very slowly. He had a puncture or some suspension damage. He kind of brought the car over to the left-hand side. Behind him, he had uh, Pierre Gasly, who was on a, a quick lap. Gasly catches him, doesn't really realise what's going on because the yellow flags went out. I don't think the marshals had realised that Hartley's car was damaged as opposed to it was a slow lap. And so... I think Hartley kind of looked in his mirror, saw a fast car coming, moved to one side, side he shouldn't have moved to. And Gasly just misses him by, you know, a matter of inches. That that would have been a a huge, huge accident. So let me lend an alternative view to exactly what happened. So Hartley obviously damaged his car somewhere. That was completely his mistake. Um, And as he rounded that corner where the very near contact happened, he was turning left, trying to stay pretty much to the left. And he was certainly not on the racing line. There was a a full car's width and more of space for Gasly to just continue his qualifying lap as if there was no one in front of him. Um, Gasly rounded the corner, seemed to see Hartley extremely late. It was really odd that he, you know, racing drivers are normally looking very far in the distance and he just didn't seem to realize what was going on. He just obviously wasn't expecting to see a car there and inexplicably appeared to try to go down his inside, which was essentially giving up on the qualifying lap. He was never going to get a quick time by diving down the inside. 
Hartley will not have expected anybody to go for the inside. So as far as Hartley's concerned, he's staying off the racing line, expecting a car to go to his right. As he as he senses um, a car approaching him, he um, looks in the mirrors, sees that Gasly's going for the inside and instinctively tweaks the steering wheel to the right. But by that time, Gasly has then decided to go to the right really late. And that then made it look like a very close thing that really made it look like Hartley's fault. But I think actually it was nowhere near as much his fault as people were making out. He had a damaged car. It's hard to stay left. If he, if he actually was trying to stay all the way to the left um, with a punctured right front, he'd have had to go so slow that could have been even more dangerous because he would have been on the apex of the previous corner. I just think he was a bit hard on himself and everyone else was a bit too hard on him too. I think they were probably frightened and they realised how potentially serious that could have been. Um, let's just have a quick word with the chat room. Uh, Peter Goodchild, what are the chat room yeah. saying to you? We've got something from Andy Whitney here. He says, Grosjean has crashed on the formation lap in Brazil under the safety car today. Has he also crashed in the pit lane for the trifecta? <laughs> it's an award you don't want. And also Evangelos Eteroclitos, uh, he says that uh, Van Gene looks 16 without the facial hair. He's a very I'm handsome starting, man. I'm starting a new job tomorrow, so I've got to have a slightly clean, fresh-shaven look to it. Bradley, you yeah. have uh, actually carted with Brendan Hartley. How do you rate him? How do you feel he's uh, doing for in F1? And I think Jamesy wants to get in after that. Okay, so yeah, um, I carted with him. Um, it was actually a round of my championship, British Rental Car Championship, that I won a few years ago. I think he came top five or something like that. Um, anyway, that wasn't really reflective of how good he is. Uh, I think I feel a bit sorry for him because he's been... He hasn't been in single-seaters for quite a long time. He's been driving very fast cars, but very different cars in a very different kind of championship. So I'm still willing to give him a bit more uh, kind of a bit more leeway and time to, to demonstrate what he's capable of because people who have worked with him at Porsche and, and other teams have said how good he is. So uh, I think that he can, think he can maybe show us a bit more in the future. All right, then. Well, Matt's not here, and Matt is normally the one who tells us how the race is won and lost. So did I trust either of you guys to take this on? Did I say, Bradley, tell us how the race is won or lost? And Neil, give us your view on how Baku panned out. No, I didn't. I got Matt Trumpets to give us a recording. And here he is, Matt Trumpets, how the race was won or lost in 60 seconds. Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Trumpets, and welcome to The Race in 60 Seconds. As you may know, last week, Neil and I reviewed the 99 European Grand Prix, which may have been even more eventful than today's race. In it, I tested a new development, the race in 60 seconds. Given that at least one of our three listeners liked it, we're going to deploy it today on a proper Grand Prix weekend. So here we go. Start the clock, Steve. Leclerc, off. Ericsson, off. Parade lap. Lights out. Crash, 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 crash. Safety car. Ocon out. Sorotkin out. Raikkonen pits. Perez pits. Magnussen pits. Alonso pits. Restart. Verstappen gets Ricciardo. P4, crash. Hulkenberg out. Stewards is like, all your incidents are belong to me. Erickson off. Hamilton pits. Perez investigated. Vettel pits. Bottas lead. Bottas doesn't pit. Ricciardo gets Verstappen. Ricciardo pits. Verstappen pits out in front of Ricciardo. Crash. Verstappen and Ricciardo. No. Out. Safety car. New tires for all. Crash. Grosjean out. More safety car. Restart. Gasly. Magnussen. Crash. Vettel off. Bottas leads. Bottas puncture. Hamilton leads. Perez gets Vettel P3 and checkers. Plus about three hours of post-race investigations. And there you have it, the race in 60 seconds. Well done, Matt.
Well, unfortunately, the way I queued that up was it was in my Google Play. So what you've just heard is the next song that was automatically lined up by my Google Play. And yes, it was Red Balloon from the film Home. I'm not embarrassed about it. Neither should you be. Real men watch kiddie movies with their children. So I would rate Matt's race review 7 out of 10. Would listen to again. Thank you very much for that, Matt Trumpets. But yeah, I mean, Brad, you have to actually realise after all that excitement... It wasn't the only safety car of the race. There was one immediately. Yes, it was. Who's, are we going to do a whose fault is it? Because it, because it seems to be, um, it's quite a simple one, really. No, I'll tell you what, we'll do the whose faults is it later. But I was just going okay. through what happened at this point. Anil, you're desperately getting my attention. Is it to tell me that I am correct in my musical tastes? Uh, definitely not, Spanners. Uh, what, one thing I thought was really interesting about this track is, even though there's that massive straight, the run to turn one is tiny. So actually, the top five got away very cleanly, and it just so it just happens to be that mid pack where everyone has kind of got bunched together. Um, and there were a few incidents. So there was first of all Alonso, Sorokin, and Renault. The, it was Sorokin that was penalised for for that particular contact, wasn't it? And didn't did anyone else on board there think that it was actually the Renault squeezing Sorokin that then led to the contact with Alonso? It certainly Sorokin was completely sandwiched, totally and utterly sandwiched. But he was penalised for it, so it was. Maybe they saw something we didn't. Well, that's interesting. So we might be suggesting very early on in the show that the stewards' decisions might not be absolutely correct and reflective of what we think should be the case, which is very, very interesting. But then then it kind of settled down that race after all the whose fault is this is nusses that we will cover soon. Hamilton was kind of sitting three seconds off of Vettel and then Bottas sitting another three seconds back. Brad, it kind of looked like okay, they're all settling in. This is that point of the race where no one wants to risk anything. They're seeing how the tyres play out. And then we're trying to decide, well, is this Vettel managing the pace or is this Hamilton sitting back out of the aero wash and and kind of, you know, saving his tyres for later in the race? Now, in China, I felt that it was Bottas managing that pace behind Sebastian Vettel. I know a lot of people argued with me. Here, do we think it, perhaps it was more the Ferrari that was in control? Yeah, I was never convinced that Hamilton had the extra speed that he needed to to close in on Vettel. And then occasionally you'd see the gap would ebb and flow. You'd get a few tenths quicker, a few tenths closer, sometimes even half a second or more. And I'd think, ah, maybe he's pushing now. Maybe he's trying to, you know, get Vettel to speed up. I just wasn't really sure. Um, and uh, I don't know. What, what do you think is the actual answer? I don't think that he really had an answer for Vettel's pace today. Well, Anil, I think the fact that Lewis Hamilton started having a lot of tyre problems, started sounding very energetic and perhaps a bit lost on the radio, kind of points to the fact that Vettel was was able to pull out gaps at will and Lewis Hamilton kind of getting suckered in to trying to close that gap. Right, and of course, let's remember, Hamilton pitted first because he had to, because he'd got through the tyres, because he was tracing too hard, he perhaps spotted them. Vettel and also Bottas were able to go a very, very long way into the race on that first set of tyres. Um, and of course, that ends up deciding the race effectively. Um, but one thing I do want to say about the, that first stint was the battle between the Red Bull and the Renaults. Renaults running the the ultra soft tire. So make sure I get this correct. Um, and they just seem to be trading places every lap, and I, I loved it. You know, one car would go past with DRS, and then the Red Bulls appeared to really struggle to get, heat the tires up. Then they would try to fight back into the braking zones. I really enjoyed that scrap. 
So why do you think the Renaults were that much quicker than the Red Bulls in that phase of the race? Do they just have less drag? You know, the Red Bulls obviously notorious for, well, not notorious. It's, uh, it impresses by having such a lot of downforce and it's so good through the fast corners. And obviously it's, a, it's very stop-start here with very high speeds. Do you think the Renault was just that bit more slippery at the end of the straights? Well, I think, so both Renaults were in the ultra soft. The Red Bulls were running the super softs and I think they okay. just had more grit. But we saw after about 10 laps, and bear in mind, we spent the first few laps under the safety car. Those Ultrasoft did not last a very long time. The Renault started to fall back very quickly. Okay, um, yeah, that makes sense. Also, Red Bull, both Red Bull drivers complaining about something to do with the battery. They couldn't charge. They were running out of power at the end of the straights. And it was interesting that it affected both of those drivers. I don't know if uh, conspiracy theory time, you know, Renault in a fight with them. Maybe they just turned the setting from the pit wall. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm just joking, I think. But... Um, I thought it was interesting that Red Bull's long run pace, especially at the beginning of the race on those tyres, was nowhere. They were losing that second, a second and a half a lap to Vettel. Okay, so apart from apart from the fact that they were they were on the the softer tyre, um, you think that the car itself hasn't had updates which have which have kind of brought it that much closer to the Red Bull. I know it's, it's so hard to tell when, when you've got the delta between the different types of tyre, but I was thinking at that phase in the race where they, were, where they both passed the Red Bulls, I was thinking, wow, Renault have, have really brought some great updates that have helped their race pace. So you think it is, yeah, it is apparently Renault did bring apparently Renault did bring um, quite a big up- upgrade to the floor this weekend. And from my understanding, a lot of the downforce of an F1 car comes from the floor, but I think it was a bit of a one-off. I'd be very surprised if in Barcelona which is a very high-speed track with long corners that Renault will catch um, Red Bull over a stint. Yeah, I agree. Again, I think the tyres had a, definitely a big factor in this. I know Matt will absolutely kill me if I don't cover the difficulties in getting these tyres to work, but Gene, so you, you get in there first. Um, what I was going to say with regards to Renault is, I think, again, this track is a very different type of circuit. It's not your standard circuit. So I think Anil's right when he says, when we go to Spain in a couple of weeks then we'll get a real idea of actually how close Renault are. I think it's track-specific and the fact that they got those tyres heated up and going at the beginning part of the race, but then you saw how much they dropped off the cliff. But I still think they went much further than everyone thought they were going to, didn't they? I think the reason that that didn't stick out in my mind is, oh, they were quicker because of those tyres, is because Hulkenberg never really made it that far, did he? Hulkenberg had this unforced error that had probably lots of us groaning because as a... Another kind of podium opportunity, potentially, probably not in reality as it happened, but another opportunity out the window. Um, we didn't really see or hear a lot more about that afterwards, but um, it was quite a big error from him. Lost a lot of points. So let's carry on a bit with where the race was won and lost. Now, the chat room I, I saw there made a bit of a comment, Peter, that the uh, that Hamilton didn't have to pit due to tyre wear, that it was because he'd locked up and felt that he'd damaged those tyres. Yeah, I was just actually noticing that Patrick Green said, I wonder if they considered just plugging the Red Bulls into a wall outlet with really long cords. Okay, good. I hope we hear more from the chat room later. If you want to join the chat room, just search Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and click the little bell. You'll get an alert every time we go live. We run the live stream as a live event so that you can come and chat and talk to us in real time. And then we put a video out afterwards so that you can watch the whole thing again, except without the stupid and litigious things I say and do included as part of that broadcast. So let's continue with where the race was kind of won and lost. Um, We had two battles and we had the battle up front and then we had this intriguing battle between the two Red Bull drivers but what was interesting was we were we were seeking the undercut and perhaps uh 
Brad, you and I were wondering whether Valtteri Bottas would be used in a Kimi Raikkonen kind of role uh, to be to kind of go in early as if he's going for the undercut, going in super early. Yes, he was six seconds off, but that would get Vettel thinking, oh my goodness, I might have to cover off Bottas here. But in the end, the undercut wasn't working today. Yeah, so at this point of the race, I was I was probably talking on our Snapchat, um, sorry, WhatsApp group saying, oh, Bottas is going to pit now, force Vettel to maybe think about his options. And as it happened, because Lewis locked up um, and and he had to pit, it was almost those roles were reversed. And I think that worked very much for the better um, for Bottas because he was able to, as you said at the start, he would have probably been able to run those tyres until the end of the race um, if he'd been allowed to. Um, he was just so much better on his tyres than Lewis was. And as Jeansy said, he said he had to pit because he damaged the tyres, but he damaged the tyres because he didn't have enough retardation left in them to actually apply the brakes hard. So he, he locked up very easily and locked both fronts very easily. Right. So when Hamilton went off, he lost about five seconds to seven that lap. So I think it was pretty clear he was going to come in. It was interesting that no one seemed to know what the best race tyre was, because even when Hamilton put the softs on, his pace wasn't particularly good. Raikkonen effectively started the race on the soft because he came in the pits at the end of the first lap. His pace on the softs wasn't good. Because it was so cold, those soft tyres weren't giving, they weren't making the undercut work. So I think it was pretty clear early on that Vettel and Bottas were just going to run along and just keep going. Um, so going back to Spanish's point, you know, where it was a race won and lost, Vettel and Bottas stay out for quite a while. But I did notice on the onboards, Vettel's front right had a lot of, um, I think, graining's the term, but you kind of have that ring around, around it. Um, and then... Bottas, on the lap Vettel eventually came in, Bottas took about six and a half tenths of a second from him. And this isn't the first time where I've noticed that at the end of the stints, the Mercedes, or at least Bottas, suddenly gets a lot of pace. So even if maybe they're not working their tyres well, it seems to come to them. So I guess the reason why Ferrari eventually said to Seb, why we need to box is because they could see the performance was going. I don't think they were worried about Lewis at that point. I think they knew they had Lewis covered. And at that point, Bottas is just playing the exact same strategy yep. that we saw Vettel do in Australia, which is, and actually Kimmy did it in the last race, just stay out, just don't box. And it, all it takes is one car to go into the wall and you've got it. But, and that then, of course, led to the Red Bull battle where Ricardo, who's been fighting Verstappen the whole race, is desperate to get ahead of him to pit first. It backfires and then he has to overtake Verstappen again, which is what leads to the incident. Okay, you've covered a lot of ground there. Let's just roll back slightly. Let's just be clear, though. Bottas has earned the right there to wait for the safety car. I don't think it's quite the same where Vettel was actually, he was third and he was well off the pace. And uh, Kimi Raikkonen had uh, the first option for the strategy. He came in. But Bottas here, he had enough pace in hand because he was saving his tyres. That seems like the likely cause. Lewis Hamilton didn't seem to have any tyres left, Brad. But uh, Valtteri Bottas, he had the the kind of maybe the tactical sense to go. Hang on a minute, this is a long race. I don't need to get sucked into a lap for lap battle. And also, this is Baku. There's just bound to be a safety car. Yeah, Bottas has been seriously impressive in his tire management, lack of complaints, and just getting on with the job and taking the fight. Not not just to his teammate, but essentially being the lead Mercedes driver over several of the last few races, he's been the threat. Um, and and he did exactly the same again today. I know he ran behind Hamilton initially because of qualifying, but yeah. he was so much better on his tires than Hamilton. He, as you said, he earned himself 
um, the opportunity to be in the right place at the right time when the opportunity arose. Something just occurred to me with regards to Lewis and tyres. Didn't he have a lockup on his first quali run and then do two extra laps? So didn't he actually do more laps in quali and have a flat stop? Didn't have any spare tyres to change onto because he only had one set of super softs? Am I right? I think I am. For the purposes of this podcast, you are correct. <laughs> no one checks. Because the rest of us don't know. No one goes back and says, were they right or wrong? I never receive emails going through the fine minutiae of the exact words, phrasings and terminologies we used. It's a show. It's a puppet. Peter, what's going on in the chat room? Quite a lot, of course, as there should be. Um, something we haven't talked about yet, which is Alonso on two wheels. That's uh, Sandra Reynolds said, how on earth did Alonso get that two-wheel wagon back? It's a really good point because we're used to seeing a flat tyre and one goes down and say if it's the rear tyre, you're just worrying about breaking the floor with that rubber whipping around as they go forward and they're trying to slow it down to reduce that damage. But with two wheels down, actually... It was like a motorbike just pulling you to trying to pull, you know, all that metal on one side. And he was really struggling to keep it out of the pit wall. What else are that cheeky chat room up to? It's going past fast today, isn't it, Peter? <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, Sam Watley said someone's going to call them halo graphs at some point about the new graphics. <sighs> we should do that. Sam, yeah. I'm sorry. We're going to pass that off as our own terminology. Anything else, Peter? Um, plenty. Um, <laughs> your song, Chris, uh, 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 the chat from saying, uh, can we give Spanners a grid penalty for violating our ears with that? Okay, I may edit that out of the final cut, but yes, my playlist accidentally played out on the live stream. I stand by it. Um, unfortunately, it might get us a YouTube takedown, so I might have to get rid of that. Uh, okay, then. So, uh, Brad, the the other battle that we looked at. Uh, was the two Red Bull guys. And yes, they did kind of have an effect on on the top three, but they were very much battling in isolation once the Renaults disappeared. Now, what do you make of these two Red Bull guys? Because last week, or last race, we had Max Verstappen as probably the faster of the two, leading the charge to try and steal that win once they went onto the softer tyres. This week, though, it really looked like Daniel Ricciardo was the much faster car driver package. I don't know whether I'd say he was much faster, but... It looked to me like they were certainly much more evenly matched than they had been before. And we had this kind of this storyline of several little battles play out. And I don't know quite how much of of the the timings of those overtaking attempts um, and actual overtakes that occurred between the two were down to Ricardo saving his energy. Because as we mentioned before, he had they both had battery um, issues where they, they didn't seem to have enough energy left at certain points in the lap. It seemed like he was being sensible, saving up enough and then going for a big attack on Max. Um, and there were these several moments where he was fended off in what looked like very well-judged defence um, manoeuvres by Max on the line, but very well done. And others where it wasn't quite so well-judged, like where they came together at turn one. And I was I was saying how he was being naughty. Um, but I thought it's it's inevitable. And the commentator said this in, in the race, if you're watching Sky, if you've got two drivers that are performing um, almost identically in the same machinery, in the same race, they're going to be fighting for the same bit of track quite often. They're both doing a good job. And that, they just were. They're in the same place at the same time. Yeah, but normally when you've got the equally talented drivers in the same machinery in Formula One of late, that means that you will see them following each other with a gap of about two seconds uh, to get out of that turbo wash. Turbo wash, that's the wrong word. Let's call it turbo vortices wash. That'll do. 
But this time... Dirty air. Dirty air. Thanks. You know all the technical terms. This time, though, we had that big drag up that long straight, and the slipstream had a real effect, which meant that we could get cars attacking into turn one. And I don't think, Jeansy, that I think that was more than a bit naughty when they made that first contact on turn one. I think that is Max Verstappen being very uncompromising. If he'd have done that on another car, you'd have gone, oh, okay, that's rough. But that's his teammate. That guy's on the same team. Well, I saw the analysis afterwards and the uh, that they did on Sky, and you actually see him unwind the steering. He could have held a constant angle to keep himself away from Danny Rick, but he didn't. He released the steering. He squeezed Danny without a hundred, with, without a shadow of a doubt. Definitely did that. But also, I think, I mean, to be fair, Ripple's biggest mistake was they should have been following each other two, three seconds apart and keeping them there because they let Kimi catch them. If the race had come out normally, they might have been able to stay ahead of Kimi, who'd obviously done well after his pit stop, after his early pit stop. All right, so you're kind of saying there should be team orders. Anil, do you agree with team orders for Red Bull? I do wonder if Daniel had gotten ahead of Max earlier, well before the pit stops, would he, would he have been able to break away? Because it seemed as though they were kind of pulling each other along a bit. I get the feeling ultimately that Daniel believed the undercut to be the best strategy and he was waiting for the pit stop. And that's when he was like, right, one or two laps before the stops, I'm going to make a lunge and go for it. I, I think Ricardo was probably overall the faster driver today. Um, there were at least three occasions in the race where I thought they were about to touch into turn one. Um, and I completely agree with Bradley. I think the first touch between them, the wheel-to-wheel contact, was very, very cheeky on uh, Max's part. But I guess we should probably talk about the pit stops and how that affected the race. Uh, should I just go into it, Spanners? Let's hear from Jeansy first. It's actually a shame that what happened at the end of the race happened because up to that point, it was some of the best on-track racing that we've seen between two people lap after lap for such a long period of time that we've seen in a really, really long time. So they kind of both blotted their copybooks um, later in the day. But um, up until that point, the, the, the standard of the moves and stuff, the bending was, was, was superb. Yeah, let's hear from your point there, Anil. You're absolutely right. The, the pit stops surprised everybody. So it's this same point we've touched on once again, that normally we're all going for the undercut. And you're thinking, if you come in, get fresh boots on, even though you've got a harder compound of tyre, they're fresher, you've got more grip, you're going to make up that gap. So basically, you're going to close the pit window. By the time the other guy comes in and does his pit stop, you've already gotten ahead on the road. So you undercut to get track position. However, on this occasion, people were coming out of the pits and we saw Lewis Hamilton coming out on a fresh set of soft tyres, barely getting away from Max Verstappen. In fact, Max Verstappen saying he's being held up by Lewis Hamilton, not enough to close up and overtake. But what we saw then is that the normal tactic of giving the lead driver the choice of strategy wasn't the advantage that it normally is today. So Daniel Ricciardo bursting his gut to get ahead of him to get that team strategy kind of backfired. Right. And we do see this occasionally at some circuits. Um, Monaco is a very good example because it's a very short lap and the tyres don't immediately come up to temperature. I think, I think there were perhaps warning signs for Red Bull that that might be the case. You just mentioned Lewis. Now, Lewis was on the soft tyre. I think they probably believe that the ultra soft, being a much softer tyre, it's got a lower operating window, wouldn't give Ricardo the same problem. But it was fairly obvious that um, the Stappen's in-lap was much faster than Ricardo's out-lap. Um, and then again, we end up with another battle between the two of them. I was extremely surprised to see how far ahead 
Verstappen was after that little um, scenario played out. Is there something to be said that we were maybe one step too hard in the tyres this weekend? Um, it, it seemed to me like everyone was struggling the whole time and yeah. the tyres were just generally too hard. Hey, with all this interesting strategy talk, I'd almost forgotten that we've got to assign blame at some point. So let's just quickly go through the fact that the safety car came out and Sebastian Vettel all or nothing did into the lead. He was briefly in the lead. There wasn't he a nil. He didn't need to do that. He could be leading the championship today. Ah, oh, you know, I love Ferrari, but I'd, I've said it before, Spanners. I don't rate Seb. And <laughs> Fair. I can't, I just can't believe it. I think he threw it away. And I know people will say, oh, but the tyres were colder after the safety car, but it's the same for everyone. Brad? I, def- I definitely didn't jump off my sofa going, <laughs> yes! Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't hate Seb or anything, but I just, I really wanted someone else to win today. So I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't being particularly neutral. I didn't, didn't care who it was. I just wanted someone else to win. And at that point, I was gutted that it looked like Bottas was about to be overtaken. And then he suddenly wasn't. And as a bonus, Vettel lost a couple more places. So it was, it was probably the peak excitement for me of the whole race. I've always said that I think there is nobody better out there at the moment at leading a race taking it from the front and leading it. And there's no one who feels more commanding than Seb. But the second he's got a bit of trouble, it doesn't seem to work. I mean, that lunge was ridiculous. I mean, it was never going to work from the start because it was too close. They were weaving all over the place. He didn't need to do it because Lewis had backed out and so had Kimi. And he just completely threw away his title lead. And he was lucky not to have lost more points, wasn't he? He was lucky not to have completely gone down the escape route and had to turn around with a full U-turn or hit the barrier like some Formula 2 drivers. Yeah, before we go to the chat room, I just wanted to say, Jeansy, you jinxed it, man. I was seeing the WhatsApp group during the race. You're like, Seb's got this. Nothing's going to go wrong. He's going to stroll off. And I was like, right, he's jinxed it. Peter, what's going on in the chat room? Uh, they're discussing something called paid chat. I didn't know we could yeah, charge for chat room comments. $10 a comment. <laughs> there's an idea that people pay $10 a comment and the winner gets $100. But now the, the citizens are fighting back. And saying that they refuse to have paid chat. So I think that's that over. Boo, I want to quit my job. uh, They're also saying it feels like we're all just killing time, waiting for spanners to let us assign blame. All right, then. Look, let's not waste any more time. There was a couple of incidents in this race. And as you know, in my marriage, it's never enough to just say, "Okay, we moved on. Let it happen. It's a marriage incident. No, we must assign blame before moving on. Whose fault is it? Whose fault is this? Wow, it's a good one today. Now, there's been a very, very binary argument on Twitter about the the incident between Max Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo. Now, what we saw was uh, uh, what led to the safety car. I'm so excited, I can barely contain myself. This is the sort of thing that you see on showreels for the next 10, 15 years. You're going to be seeing this incident and the radio calls and the interviews afterwards. This is Singapore. Um, This is uh, Rosberg, Hamilton, Spa, 2014. Uh, This is all those things. But yeah, so basically what we had was Daniel Ricciardo coming up the back straight. He jinks to the right. He makes a move. Uh, It seems to be covered off. He tries to dive back inside. There's no room. The stamping makes sure of that. They collide unbelievably these two super talented potential future world champions in the most expensive machinery in the world in a team that's won four constructors world championships they go and spin off into turn one and everybody around the world is holding their head in their hands now for me brad it's gotta be for me 
It's got to be Max Verstappen. He's moved too many times. He's blocked too many times. Daniel Ricciardo, he's, he's made a, a legal overtake. He's been completely surprised by Max doing that. Tried to get out of the way and they've collided. I, I'm putting this on Max and Twitter was not happy with me. That's the most notifications I've had in a while. I'm sorry. He's made a legal overtake. At Did- no point was he even within 10 meters of the back of Max until they actually crashed. So I'm, I'm, there certainly was no overlap or even a hint of there ever being an overlap. So I'm not quite sure where you got a legal overtake from. But can I just, before we get deeply into this discussion, can I just point out that I might be taking my position defending one of these drivers in the same way that a lawyer who doesn't 100% believe in their <laughs> client's innocence um, is going to defend them to the best of their ability. I appreciate that. I don't think any lawyer would actually ever argue against something he didn't believe in. I find that preposterous. But uh, give us the I case. I literally checked with my lawyer fiance about that <laughs> before I said that. So uh, basically, you're giving us the case for the defense. I think the case for the prosecution is me saying that Max Verstappen has basically moved a couple of times, which I don't think you're allowed to do. Daniel Ricciardo has hit him. He's an innocent victim trying to get out of the way. So what is the case for the defense? Okay, so here's how I see it. Um, and I think if you'll take a, a long, repeated look at the onboard of uh, of my defendant's uh, car as he approaches turn one on that particular lap, what you're going to notice is that Max is driving towards turn one, um, clearly defending, as in driving on the inside line, trying to make his teammate go around the outside of him. Um, as his teammate approaches in the slipstream, um, Max covers the inside, but leaves about a car's width to the inside. Um, Daniel Ricciardo moves to the right. And as was clarified by Charlie Whiting um, in a rules clarification at the end of last year, um, they're not going to be particularly um, uh, kind of black and white or clear cut on how they penalise moves in and around the braking area. So Max sees Ricardo go towards the right, kind of feigns covering him off. And Ricardo decides he'll go towards the inside, which there was never very much space. And he was certainly not really close enough to make an outbreaking maneuver at that point. Um, my, my, def- uh, my client, Max, doesn't really turn the steering wheel very far <laughs> at all. You know, a couple of degrees at most. And Ricardo realizes there's not enough time for me to slow down, not enough space for me to go down the inside anymore and breaks too hard, locks up, hits the back of his teammate. Um, thus, the fault is entirely laid at the feet of Daniel Ricardo. And I would just like to preemptively point out before this gets brought up um, that first of all I'm yet to see this specific rule that says you're not allowed to move at all in the braking area and secondly having studied very closely both drivers on boards and listened to their engine notes Max did not move in the braking area he had not braked at the point he made his very gentle move towards the inside while still leaving almost a full car's width for Daniel to to dive up the inside if he needed to. I think Max was taken entirely by surprise by the thump up the backside he got from his teammate. Uh, The defence rests. The court will now hear from the prosecution's witness. Is he ready? Uh, Yes, Your Honour. The uh, prosecution would like to call Alex Van Jean to the bench. Reluctantly, Your Honour, and apologies if he headbutts the microphone or just falls around um, at any point during his evidence. So, the way... I see it from my... Objection! (laughs) Sustained, (laughs) Anil. So the way I see it is um, when Daniel was approaching... Oh, by the way, you're right, by the way, Brad, on the no-break, the the rule about breaking, about not moving in the breaking zone. That was taken away after it was put in. It was put in, and a few races later it was taken out. So you're right on that. However, one rule that's always... 
I say a rule. I can't say I've actually seen it in the actual rules because I haven't read them. But it's always been the case that a rule you that's can't... not in the rules. Interesting. I didn't know. It. I don't know if it's not. <laughs> Way to speak, um, Alex. You can't move. You can't defend twice. So you can only move once. And Max definitely moved twice. And when he moved twice, he's come across the front wing of Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel Ricciardo has lost downforce, and then that's why he's locked up and gone into the back of Max. Max moved twice. That's the big thing. I'll wait for Anil to speak and then respond. I feel like I'm under like loads of like pressure now, as if like Bradley is actually like a lawyer. And if I my <laughs> argument isn't good, then Ricardo suffers like repercussions. Um, Make it so good then. Let's, let's keep in mind every overtake Ricardo had done up to that point had been around the outside on Max. Um, he sells him a bit of a dummy. I think Verstappen just should not have bothered moving left at that point. There was no way that either of them were going to make the corner. I think it caught Ricardo by surprise. The argument David Coulthard made, which I very much disagree with, but I understand where he's coming from, was Ricardo should have known that Max would have been willing to move twice and he should have preempted it. Which is, which However, I might point out is entirely with it. Well, no, let, continue. Right. So the point on that is I understand what he's saying because throughout the history of Formula One and even in recent years, you have to preempt how the driver you're racing will react in. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The situation, and we've spoken about this before. You know, drivers play mind games with each other. They understand what they will do. I don't think Daniel would have thought his teammate would do it to him. We've seen Verstappen do this to other drivers. Uh, he really annoyed Kimi Räikkönen a couple of years ago in Hungary. Um, but to do it against his own teammate, it was just the most unnecessary incident to get yourself involved in. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if Ricardo overtakes him and gets ahead because. 
at least it's his teammate and maybe he'll catch him again on the next lap or at least he's going to pick up points. That was a risk he should never, ever have taken against his teammate. And I don't think Ricardo expected it. I don't like that. That's kind of like they, he was asking for it, so it's okay. Though I appreciate the fallacy presented within Anil's um, argument there. Since it harms my client, I'm not going to expand on it. Um, what I'm going to do, though, <laughs> is is uh, just touch upon what Alex said. Um, he said that um, Max moved across Daniel's nose. Um, I don't think there's any crime being committed by a driver affecting the downforce level of his um, of a car following him. That's not Max's fault or concern in the slightest. Um, in terms of moving twice, there has to be some significance in terms of the move. And Max was so gentle with the steering wheel. It was his customary, I'm going to gently turn the steering wheel and let you make the decision that he's done frequently. If you're saying a driver isn't allowed to move before a corner whilst there's a following car, then drivers are no longer allowed to take the racing line or open up a corner before they turn in towards an apex or do that and then also defend. Um, Max did no major movements of the steering. I think Daniel Ricciardo just misjudged this one. And I'd like to, before you go to Anil in the chat room, I'd just like to present one final piece of evidence, which is um, the uh, the prosecution's... Um, no, sorry, I, I don't know how this... <laughs> I don't know what Daniel Ricciardo's legal position is in this courtroom, but Daniel Ricciardo's own testimony that he just was obviously quite apologetic himself. He didn't... He didn't Initially, he didn't at any point lay the blame with Max or entirely wasn't angry at him. Neither driver went up to another one and and um, kind of berated them publicly. I think Daniel realised he made a mistake here, and I I think Max has very little to answer for. Right, I just I disagree so much, and you just made the point of he didn't turn too left. He just turned a little bit left. He's still turning left after turning right after in, Ricardo's committed to that line. In relation and to other, what, though? In relation to the racing line? In relation line, to going straight. To order, order, order. You are in contempt of my mixing desk, and I have turned you down because I want to get to the chat room. What are they making of this at the moment, Peter? They've just gone mental. <laughs> they yeah, really that happens. Have. Um, uh, European, at the end of the day, both drivers did something irresponsible. End of. That's very conclusive. Christopher Burns, uh, Verstappen was sold a bunny and he spat it back in Danny Rick's face. Um, dummy even? Also, Maybe a dummy. He adds, let's just blame Ericsson for everything and move on. Can I please just um, also take a comment from the chat room, which I think is a very, very apt comment from, uh, apologies for the pronunciation, off Neil Gallimore, who says, at some point, one of those dive bomb overtakes from Ricardo was going to cause an accident. And I think this was one. I think he's become so confident in his ability to make a very late move stick that he just went too late on a driver who was never going to give him that room. Okay, so... I'm going to cut in there and read you the rules. Now, I do have some sympathy to people who thought that this rule had been removed. Now, I remember when we were really, really arguing tons and tons about the Hamilton and Rosberg battles, we wanted clarification on these rules. And actually, very little exists on what the exact ruling is for racing. And especially once you get into the corner, it becomes very, very vague. Now, there are specific rules. There was two rules that are relevant here. One was introduced when Michael Schumacher nearly ran Rubens Barrichello off the road, and that is the rule that you could not make more than one movement. And if you 
If you did, if you made a second movement, that second movement could only be back to the racing line. And if you did make that second movement back to the racing line, then you had to leave a car's width for a car coming through. Now, in the 2018 regulations, that is absent in the main body of the sporting regulations. There was also another rule, which was the Verstappen rule, about moving in the braking zone. And that one is less relevant to today. And that was completely taken away. And I was sure this rule still existed. And I was sure I heard mention that they were going to penalise drivers for moving more than once. Now, why I say I have sympathy for people who couldn't find this today is because it was Matt Trumpets that, that, um, that rescued me. It is, in fact, in Annex L or Appendix L of the International Sporting Code. Hands up, who has read the annexes of the sporting code. My my hand remains strictly down. Uh, Who hasn't? <laughs> uh, and I, I thought I was quite good for having read the sporting codes at all for these kind of incidents. But in Chapter 5, Section 2, Overtaking Car Control and Track Limits, in uh, Paragraph B, more than one change of direction to defend a position is not permitted. It's as simple as that. Any driver moving back towards the racing line, having earlier defended his position, should leave at least one car's width between his car and the edge of the track on approach to the corner. So even if... Sorry, sorry, Spanners. Can you please just repeat that exact phrase? Absolutely. Did I hear you say moving back towards the racing line? Towards the racing line. Now, now, Brad, I'm I'm sure you would agree that the racing line was on the right-hand side at the point of contact. I do agree. So he wasn't moving back to the racing line at all. So if you... So no need to leave that space. There was no need to leave that space, but the fact is it was the second move and therefore not permitted in Annex L of the Sporting Regulations 2018. Ah, but Spanners, I, I, as I'm sure you're aware, um, as judge presiding over this courtroom, <laughs> oh, right, cool. in that case, guilty in this situation. <laughs> and we have a lot, a body of evidence suggesting that the precedent in terms of what is and isn't penalised in terms of this specific situation where one driver makes small, relatively insignificant multiple moves on a straight approaching a corner, they are not penalised. That is the precedent. That's what Max was working within. And that is why he wasn't significantly penalised. Is there such a thing as an insignificant move at 220 miles an hour? You don't have to turn the steering wheel very much at over 200 miles an hour to cover a lot of distance. And I'm... the fact is, from the video evidence, he clearly goes right as as Danny went right. And then as Danny goes left, he then clearly goes left. That is two defined, clear moves, neither of well, the second of which went nowhere near the racing line. Read Annex and, L, Brad. And, and the precedent for the punishment for that or for whether or not the authorities are going to give any kind of credence to that annex is that it is not upheld it's not enforced it's like saying that football uh, in appendix 15 l of the british um common law is that you're not allowed to play football on sundays the precedent is that it's still in the regulations but it is no longer enforced um, in the same way that there are various laws lots of archaic laws in many constitutions and law establishments of various countries that are just, they never write them out of the rules because there's just no point. But in the same way that, for example, you have to have a certain religion to hold office in, in certain states in America, the, the precedent is that that is no longer the case. The law is still there, but it's not ever adhered to. And I think that's exactly the same in this situation. But if you're going by the letter of the law, when it comes to things in court, it's the stuff that is written down and is actually legally binding that wins you the argument. And no, no, it's not. And what not if the precedent... Not if the governing body or the authorities no longer 
care about that rule. I've watched enough is... suits to know that they can, they can <laughs> cover any loophole um, just by the fact they found something written down that is legally binding. Look, just because you've seen the whole of the most recent series of suits and I haven't seen it yet, don't get all suitsy on me. I'll spoil the ending for you if you're not careful. Okay, okay, we've moved into a weird territory now. Uh, but look, I, I think to me it's pretty clear by the letter of the rules, if that was going to be enforced, uh, then Max Verstappen should be penalised, should have a good penalty, in my opinion, for making two moves. It's something you're not allowed to do. In my opinion, Daniel Ricciardo had every right to expect that after his first dummy had been bought, he could then go to the inside, commit to that move. He did commit to that move. Max Verstappen co- uh, covered him off. Ricciardo had no plan B for if Max did that. Ricciardo, you nearly made me say his name incorrectly. Ricciardo would Ricciardo. not have made the corner if he hadn't hit the back of Max. He braked too late, regardless of where Max positioned the car. Well, Speculation, uh, Your Honour. Yeah, yeah, sustained. All right, cool. Oh, I, love, I, I love this. This is great. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, let's just, um, let's randomly, let's, uh, I was going to say let's, Peter, let's let Peter decide, but I've just realised that he told me before that he thinks it was Ricciardo's fault, so I don't want to let him decide that. We need to find another way to decide. We could decide by just moving on to the Raikkonen Ocon incident, which we seem to have missed at the start of the race, because we can probably all agree on that. Okay, maybe so it's just a racing incident. It's no one's fault. No, what? It's always what? someone's fault. I don't bring you on here to sit and agree and debate. It's always someone's fault. Uh, for this one, it seemed pretty clear to me. Ocon just got a bit impetuous, did not want to leave that space, was guarding his position, and he's just wiped Kimi Raikkonen out. Kimi Raikkonen, just the worst luck. Yeah, I totally agree. What was he doing? Good. He just dro- turned in as if he wasn't there. Well, there was so much room to let him. There was yeah. so much room to get two cars through that corner. But Ocon's got previous on that corner. He does not want to yield. So let's go well, on. Well, that's, that's his own prerogative. He can crash then, can't he? Let's go on to the slightly more interesting than one. Uh, Brad, three abreast. Uh, Alonso, Sergei Sorokin, and I believe Carlos signs on the right hand side. Alonso, somewhat of an innocent victim. But whose fault was it? Um, I don't, haven't really seen enough camera angles to to give a brilliantly informed opinion, but it looked to me that whichever Renault was on the far right-hand side Sorry. moved to the left slightly, um, and that made Sorokin move to his left slightly, and then Alonso got tagged. It, it seemed pretty straightforward, although weirdly Sorokin seemed to be penalised for that, if that was the incident that he was penalised for. I'm in agreement with that. Good. Yeah, I agree. Does anyone else feel a bit stressed after our Ricardo Verstappen argument? I feel like really like the stakes were high. Brad just brought it to a completely different level. You weren't expecting my defence. <laughs> I, I was, but I'm grinning ear to ear, but I know you well enough. So I, I will say that your arguing skills were better than your actual body of evidence. So can I, at least to that. I'm, I'm going to scroll back through our WhatsApp chat and try and read what I actually wrote in our WhatsApp chat um, at the time it happened that is private Uh, correspondence don't share any of my kitten conversations but I tell you what we will do let's move on a little bit because me and Anil have had a bit of a running debate since pre-season in fact Anil I would argue that we've been having that debate for about four years ever since Renault joined in you said they were immediately going to win the world championship and I've tolerated your Renault musings for the last few years Um, but this season you were really adamant that Renault was going to do well I said no I think Force India are going to beat them there is a pint and a cookie on the line. And I will admit that for a little bit of that race, I was slightly, slightly nervous. Uh, but then, of course, the result shows that, you know, Force India are, are miles ahead. They dominated Renault in the end. Dominated. You're talking so much rubbish. And I, I love how this whole, like, Renault thing, before it was like two years ago, you said this, three years ago. N- now, now you're saying 
in 2014 when Pastor Maldonado was driving for Lotus and Neil called and Neil called it that Renault were going to win the title of 2018. You're talking rubbish. Um, Perez drove an amazing race today. They've been quick all weekend. And I do wonder if it will be a one-off. I think it might be. And Perez seemed to say after the race, he didn't really expect them to match that performance. But it just seems that that chassis on, or the DNA of that chassis on that circuit just really suits them. And I, th- I think he's now the most successful driver at this circuit with two podiums, which is quite a statistic. Get out. So Sergio Perez is the most successful Baku Grand Prix driver. And like you know how much of a big Perez fan I am, part of the reason why I cheer on Force India. Um, but I was not following his race at all. He wasn't a feature. And then all of a sudden, Vettel finds himself lagging in fourth place. Perez has overtaken him. Like, Where did that come from? Why have I not been cheering that on the whole race? Right, and I think when the second safety car came out towards the end, he made up a lot of places by not making a pit stop, or he seemed to be on the slowest tyre while everyone else was on the ultra soft. And he said after the race, you know, those were the best two laps of his life because he was expecting to look at the cars behind him, not only getting a run down the straight, but having more grip throughout the rest of the lap. But in the end, you know, other drivers fell apart, the Red Bulls took themselves out. Again, Perez picks up the pieces. He's so good at that. A, when tyres are crucial, Perez is on it. And I think he might have at one point said he'd picked up a thing or two from Kamubi Kobayashi when they were at Sauber, if I'm remembering things right, what a ledge. Uh, but Perez has this kind of real kind of talent for when there is something on the line to take, he takes it. And you know, what a difference between that and Hulkenberg, who twice at Baku could have been on a podium or was on for a really great result and through no contact with anyone else has just binned it. Right. We should point out, and I was quite confused by this after the race. Um, Perez had a five-second time penalty, but he took it under the safety car. Now, I did not know this was actually allowed in the rules, but I was very confused at the end of the race because he finished third. But had he taken the five-second penalty then, he actually would have finished seventh. Um, Uh, So I found it quite strange watching him celebrate because I was a bit like, oh, when when did he take the penalty? But apparently the rules allow you to take those penalties during a safety car. And, you know, if the rules didn't allow that, he would have finished quite far back. But they gambled on... um, they gambled on um, taking it under the safety car. They put on a set of softs, I think it was, and it, it worked for them. Big slice of luck. But once again, when he picks up a podium, where was his teammate? Uh, Peter, what's going on in the chat room? Let's say one final hello to them. Well, it would, after your ding dong, uh, Phil C <laughs> said, order, order, order in the shed. And European... <laughs> I should have said that. Oh. <laughs> and they're wanting an appeal show tomorrow. That can be arranged. So... Yeah, that's what's going on. And uh, as a discussion about constitutional law, which I think is for another day. <laughs> there are some brilliant comments popping up. I've, I've already singled out a few that I think should be comment of the week. Ah, we can definitely uh, address that when we go towards comment of the week. But we're, we're moving very quickly towards the podium. Uh, as of late, I've decided that, you know, we can let these race reviews go on a little bit longer. Apologies to those guys who like the shorter form shows. Split it into two. Call it two shows. But on the race reviews, there's often so, so much to talk about. And this is when we're most excited but brad and and jeansy as well actually we're all people who wish lewis hamilton well we like the british drivers to do well we particularly like lewis hamilton and would say we are supporters of him i think however even though he's won this race all throughout the weekend and during the race and even after the race we've been talking about lewis hamilton in a big slump and i said well his slumps don't normally last this long but it is clear that the slump even extended to this race and he's he's it's a fluke 
this win. He's put himself at least in the position to take it. I would say there's not many drivers who wouldn't have won in that car today. What you said to me, Gene, was Lewis Hamilton seemed normal. Yeah, he's just not his. He hasn't been electric. If, if you look at any body language that you've seen from any interview that he's had, he doesn't look up. Uh, he hasn't got that glint in his eye of he's hungry for this. He's just been going through the motions, which isn't which we always which we all know from many many years of watching it. A happy Lewis is a fast Lewis, and I haven't seen a happy Lewis since pretty much since he won the title. If I'm brutally honest, I'd flip that the other way around and say that that glint in his eye and that happiness would be there if he was faster. I think he's in a position at the moment where he is generally being outperformed by his teammate in a lot of sessions, um, you know, in several of the races this year. And I think that's why he doesn't appear his outwardly um, joyous self. Um, I have to say, though, I really thought his attitude post-race was commendable, um, the way he commiserated with Bottas. I'm not, you know, the world's biggest Lewis Hamilton fan, um, I, I'm reasonably neutral in most matters, Formula One, but I, um, I, I like to see him do well if he's performing well. And anyway, after the race, I thought his lack of celebration and his, um, you know, the way he kept mentioning how this was Bottas's race and how well he'd driven, I thought that was really good to see. That was a great attitude. I think if you'd have given Lewis a podium after Friday practice, I think he'd have taken it. That's how poor Lewis's weekend was. Right. So. To- do we think this is down to the tyres then? Because I remember a few races last year, and this is where the whole diva thing came up, where Bottas outperformed Lewis early in the year. I think it was Monaco and Russia. Um, and there was a lot of talk about Lewis is struggling a little bit with the tyres, but as the season went on, Mercedes seemed to be able to kind of eliminate that problem. And from then on, he was comfortably the faster of the two Mercedes drivers. Um, he made Bottas look quite average at times, especially over one lap. So I just wonder given that the tyres are softer this year um, and we're going to races where he just seems to be struggling slightly to get the most out of them. He was better. He beat Bottas in qualifying. Yeah. should point that out. It's not like he was terrible on Saturday. So when we talk about tyres, we're talking about, I suppose, getting them into the right operating window. And this looks to be a little bit of a weakness. What we didn't do, what we didn't see today, which would have been intriguing, was Bottas at the front of a stint with the super with the soft tires in the same way that Hamilton struggled to stay ahead of Verstappen if we'd have then seen Bottas come in and have that same struggle then maybe we could have said oh no that was that is just a feature of the car and the tire combination uh, but if we'd have seen him get out there and get straight on the pace we could have perhaps seen that or we could be saying that if the tires aren't optimal to the car he's not driving around it i.e. he doesn't have a plan b which is what we were talking about but Brad I'm much more inclined to just think He's just having a, a a not good vein of form. That seems to be the most obvious and easy answer to what's happening. So first of all, just very briefly, I think with the tyre thing, it's two slightly different things. There's the tyre warm-up and how easily the driver warms up those tyres. And then there's the tyre preservation and, and how well they look after them over a stint. It seems to me like Bottas was potentially better in both of those areas, certainly the tyre preservation this weekend. Um, in regards to whether it's just a slump for Hamilton or whether Bottas is actually just raising his game. I tend to think at the moment it's still maybe a combination of both. I think Bottas is genuinely doing better this year. I think the the way that the car is performing suits him slightly better than it did last year, um, for whatever reason. But I think also Lewis is, for some reason, struggling more than you'd expect him to. And I think those things are converging to make him look a bit normal, 
and to make Bottas look slightly better than him at the moment. Um, I'm really interested to see how it pans out. And it's easy to say he's struggling with the tyres because the first thing we hear when he's struggling is him going on the radio saying, oh, I've got no grip, these tyres are shot. He seems to always say there's a problem with the tyres a lot quicker than the other drivers. In my mind at the moment, I'm starting to suspect that when things aren't going well, he's looking for a reason. He's looking for a scapegoat almost. But if you have been performing at that higher level for so long, like Lewis Hamilton has, when things aren't going well, you're going to be looking for something. And a very easy thing to do is say, well, these tyres aren't working for me. But Brad, today, there was a very obvious uh, revealing of that falseness because he complained about his tyres. He eventually flat spotted them and said, no, I've got to go in. And then Bottas kind of showed that that's ridiculous. He, he was, he was pulling away in the, in Hamilton's second stint. Bottas was still able to pull a gap. And we were thinking about whether he was going to pull a pit window on Hamilton. So, you know, that's where I'm leaning. Yeah, this reminds me a little bit. So if you're a driver who's won four world championships and you've always been one of the very fastest guys in the world for basically your whole career and Hamilton's won you know, anything he's ever tried his hand at and always been extremely good, you obviously build up a lot of self-belief. And when things aren't going right, I would imagine you don't think it's you to begin with. Um, you know, you're going to think of all the other avenues that it probably is. And it reminds me of the season where Vettel was um, beaten by Ricardo convincingly, where he must have been going through a similar thing where he's won for all these years. He's dominated the championship for several years and then his teammates beating him and he's struggling a bit. And I think it's a, I think it's a car specific thing. Something about something about the interaction between that car and those tires and the way the racing is this year is just not quite getting to grips with. And it's such fine margins as it always is in formula one that it becomes a big thing and it's, uh, he hasn't found a cure for it yet. Let's move on to the podium. The podium is all about shows and awards. Bradley Philpott, you have been very impressed with the actual show that Liberty have been putting on. Yeah, I keep raving about it, don't I? I, From everything from the theme music, um, the new graphics. um, I just really like like what they're doing with the sport. Um, The only negative in in that side of things I saw today was occasionally they cut to a replay from a certain lap and it would come up with a screen telling you what lap the replay was about to be on which would stay on for 30 seconds or so. And then they'd show the replay and then the screen would come back up again. And you weren't sure whether you're seeing another replay from that lap or whether they were just closing that particular replay. Apart from that slightly unnecessary delay in that, that um, slide, I thought what they've done with the graphics on the halo and all that kind of thing is really positive. Yeah, the halo's a big yeah. thing, isn't it, Anil? Because they've turned what is basically a bug, which is seeing that halo into a feature. Yeah, they've, They've made it look quite cool during race trim. Um, they do very similar things with Formula E, where they have all these kind of fancy on-screen graphics, and they've kind of just said, well, the onboards of the Halo don't look great, so let's see what we can do with them. Um, but just going back to Bradley's point about the kind of race intros, the theme music, a lot of people complained on Twitter and Facebook, like, oh, Formula One doesn't need a theme song, they're ruining it, they're making it too American. The intro is epic, because, you know, it has the music, um, it then comes with the... I think it's like stats about the race, the best overtaken points. Then it has like the tires, and then it does the grid, and it just it's it's such a good intro, and they deserve a lot of credit for setting up the race like that. Uh, yeah, people are like, oh, it's too American. What's your favorite TV show? Uh, Game of Thrones, uh, uh, Walking Dead, 
What, what networks do you watch that on? Netflix, Amazon. Let's let's stop being all weird in English about Americanisms. The the Americans know how to do entertainment. So I was very happy when Liberty took over, and I felt they were going to bring that American showmanship. And I'm glad it's starting to seep through. But this is the point in the show where we start to give out awards. So let's do the good thing first. Who got your thing of the weekend? Alex Jeansy Van Jean. You never come to me first. So, thing of the weekend. I've got loads and loads of things written down for thing of the weekend. Um, so, because I'm first, I've decided to steal something from Brad. Um, I think it's Fernando Alonso hitting the no! on the way oh. to the pits. <laughs> uh, yeah, but he, sorry, Brad. Uh, I couldn't resist that. I even have written down Fernando hitting pit wall. You steal didn't even from Brad. see it. You didn't even see it. I told you about it, and you said what? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to allow it. Uh, yeah, the fact are you are you giving it the award? The fact that he managed to stay fully out of the pit wall. Um, do you know, I'll let Brad have that one because he's right. I was doing that just to wind Brad up. To be fair, my thing of the my actual thing of the weekend was that Red Bull battle up until the very very end. That thing was superb. It showed that in 2018 you can have wheel to wheel racing up until a point, but it was just spectacular because they did show each other a lot of respect and last moment. Yeah, let's make no mistake, Max Verstappen is quality for F1 content at the moment. Whatever we think about his driving, he is good for F1. You know, maybe if he brings it back from the brink a little bit, but at the moment, this is great for the sport we love. Bradley Philpott, who is your thing of the weekend? Okay, since my good one was stolen from me, I'll give you a different one. A bit left field. Um, I loved Roman Grosjean's engineer coming on the radio and saying, yeah, we we think Ericsson hit you (laughs) when Grosjean binned it on his own. That was my thing of the weekend. I I thought it was actually Grosjean that said, did Ericsson hit us? But was it actually the, the team, was it? I, I think it was an engineer who had just seen the TV footage of the car going in the wall and Grosjean just said, no, no, or something like that. And the engineer said, uh, I think Ericsson hit us. When like, I that's heard, what I think. When I heard well, that radio well, call, when I heard that radio call of the, no, no, that is the war cry of somebody who knows he has absolutely dropped it. And Neil Palmer, who is your thing of the weekend? Um, I was going to pick Alonso for his drive back through the field, but I'm going to give it to Charles Leclerc because he was absolutely amazing Saturday and Sunday. We didn't get to that. We didn't get to that at all. But not only was he amazing Saturday, Sunday, he was also been amazing compared to his teammate. Now, people were starting to tell me, Anil, that, oh, look, Ericsson's actually not that bad, is he? And I was saying to them, oh, my goodness, reversion to the mean. Just give it a few races. And it's not just a little bit. It's stark now. And, I, and I'm kind of glad. I want the Ericsson myth to disappear. Right, and if if Leclerc can do that for a couple more races, then I think Ericsson's going to start getting pretty nervous because it, it was pretty one-sided this weekend. In fact, Ericsson went off on his outlap to the grid. He actually got stuck in one of the escape zones because um, uh... the wind blew him off. So, you know, uh, there's, there's real pressure on him. I, I dream of a day where Formula One is the 20 best drivers in the world competing in the greatest machinery on the planet in the world's most fantastic sport. It's a, It hurts me. It hurts. There's a couple of drivers on the grid and you just go, okay, it's a necessary evil. We've had it worse at certain points in the past, but I do dream of that day. Peter Goodchild, thank you so much for looking after the chat room for us today. I would like your personal, not the chat rooms, I would like your personal thing of the weekend, please. It was the racing. It was amazing. The Renaults and the Red Bulls going at it, all four of them. And then the two Red Bulls. There were six times those two Red Bulls came near each other. It was brilliant. I can take my eyes off it. 
no, it was it was really a fantastic spectacle. And this whole season, I think so far, has been great. We've got a good season to look forward to. I don't have, Peter, the, oh, no, I missed the apex from my son. So if you could just say to me in a shocked and surprised fashion, oh, no, you missed the apex. Oh, no, you missed the apex. That was just bad enough to use, like, going forward <laughs> all the time. Uh, Alex Van Jean, who missed the apex for you, buddy? Um, the Sky Sports um, grid walk. Um, Martin Brundle wasn't there this weekend and they had um, lasers and the rest are doing it and they had one cameraman and they went off in different directions couldn't get interviews off of people and the camera had to keep going running between the two it was an absolute nightmare considering Sky are generally so slick that was that was a shambles Uh, let's go to Bradley Philpott who missed the apex for you uh, Sebastian Vettel missed the apex convincingly attempting to pass Valtteri Bottas it's amazing really the things we could have spent 20 minutes talking about in this race that have just been kind of shunned I think we you know we mentioned it for about 10 seconds but when we look back at the end of the season and Lewis Hamilton has for example won by 10 points they're going to be playing replays over and over again of that turn one lockup yeah I just think that was a and well I know I was going to say uncharacteristic error, but he no. has made errors yeah. over the years. And I think it was just misjudged. And it was, he actually got off quite lightly considering how big a mistake it was. And Neil Palmer, who missed the apex? It can only be Roman Grosjean, which to what I can describe as the best incident I've ever seen. Um, I need to see a gif of someone changing. Um, of adding a Mario Kart-style red shell from Ericsson's car hitting Grosjean. <laughs> it, it needs to happen. So if anyone's listening and you you know, you know know how to make it happen, just do it. Um, he is under real, real pressure, Grosjean, because he's always whining and Magnussen's driving better. And that was a big, big mistake. Uh, I just realised before I go to Peter, I never did my thing of the weekend. And my thing of the weekend is Valtteri Bottas. Uh, absolutely gutted for him because he's not had the best of luck. He's been heavily, heavily criticised for his racing, but he's stuck true to his line. And like I said, I think he deserved the opportunity to win today. He deserved the opportunity to be in the lead at the safety car and to, to take advantage of that safety car. And it was heartbreaking because I saw that bit of debris. As he was driving towards it, I saw that bit of debris. And as soon as he went over it and I saw it flick from the front straight out of his back uh, underneath the bottom wheel, I thought that's a big piece of debris that is going to puncture. And I was just sat there holding my breath, waiting for it. And in fact, I think I'd said to you guys on the safety car restart, this is too exciting. I'll speak to you all later in our WhatsApp group. And... um and then I, I just couldn't help but come back in screaming various voice notes. And I had considered playing my voice notes on the show, but I'm definitely not going to. Valtteri Bottas has left this weekend with his head held high and definitely has my thing of the weekend. Uh, Peter Goodchild, who missed the apex for you? I was going to have the ridiculously overinflated pre-start celebrations, but I think it's got to be Lewis's hair. That, do you know what? That is not unfair. For a guy who is so stylish, there is no way that anybody objectively can say that that is a good... Even Jeansy has to admit that that is a poor choice. It's really difficult. Being Lewis Hamilton, he makes it so hard sometimes. I'm pretty sure there's a bet going on between the drivers just who can turn up the worst haircut because Vettel had that weird like aerodynamic haircut a few weeks ago as well. Um, It's weird when you've got that much money, why can't you just look... You know, Jeansy looks great. He looks young. He's 16. You know, that that's what you want. 
Yeah, Bob Varsha said his style was the result of a lot of $10 haircuts. If it's good enough for Bob Varsha, it's good enough for me. Has anybody got a Pony Awards, by the way? Raise your hands Absolutely. now if you have one. Okay, then, let's play this. Of course. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Who's your Pony Award, Brad? Okay, so I'm going to give my Pony Awards, um, first of all, with a quote, and I'm going to let you decide who this is. Um, Clearly, I had a great start. Really good. I managed to overtake him in turn two. I was ahead of him on the straight. I was completely ahead. He was behind. I don't know what he did. He released the brakes and hit me. Who was that on lap one? It's obviously Esteban Ocon, who is very incorrect in his assessment of that particular situation. Any other ponies, guys? I would definitely agree with that, actually. Um, sometimes I just wish a driver would admit when they're wrong instead of just trying to make up this elaborate story. Yeah, it's definitely Ocon. To be fair, pretty much everyone who had a radio message on the first lap deserves a pony. Every single one was someone, wasn't me, wasn't me, wasn't me, when pretty much it was everybody. They were rather like idiots. I do wonder how they choose those radio messages because when Lewis Hamilton's having an off weekend, for example, they really do play a lot of his, his intercom chat. And whenever it goes, and you see the Hamilton icon, you think, oh God. Oh, what's this going to be now? I think, you know, some drivers do come off a lot better than others. Roman Grosjean was trying to make the case that, oh, no, I'm not really whiny, you English pig dog. It is just the uh, the edit and the audio that they choose to pick all his whiny comments. Well, I suppose they've got to be there in the first place, haven't they? Um, guys, fantastic race review. Thanks for subbing in. How do you feel being in Matt Trumpet's chair, Brad? It's been really good. It's nice to to get some more of the uh, of the airtime. Thank you very much. Where can people find you, Brad? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Bradley Philpot, um, on Facebook, Bradley Philpot Motorsport. And I'd like to, in particular, um, promote my YouTube channel, which if you just search for Bradley Philpot on YouTube, you'll find my new series of videos, which I'm currently creating, which is learning the Nürburgring in under an hour. Um, I've produced two of those videos. The rest will be coming in the next couple of weeks. So an easy eight or nine minute video um, split into five separate videos to help you learn the launch life in under an hour. So look for that and subscribe. I tell you what, Bradley Philpot is one of these guys who has an uncanny knack of being able to just put a phone up in front of him and saying things and making it interesting. You don't push your YouTube channel enough. Use this platform to push it. That's an order, sunshine. So yeah, everybody search for my name, Bradley Philpot, on YouTube. Click subscribe. And Neil Palmer, where can people find you? Obviously, you're going to be too busy lining up my pints and cookies because Force India are bossing it. Oh, gee, Spanish. You've got no chance, but I don't have a YouTube channel. I'm not as exciting as our friend Bradley, but you you're can not. find me on Twitter at AnilP228. Anil P228. Alex Jinzi Van Jean, karting extraordinaire. Uh, a, what are you up to? And B, where can people find you? Um, due to having just had a baby, so I have a little two-week-old little girl who Babies is wonderful. Babies are terrible. She, yeah, but she's wonderful at the moment. She's great. Um, however, it does sap all my money away, so there's no karting at the moment for me. Um, if you want to keep up with me, I'm on at Alex Van Jean. Um, I have got a um, GT3 series on Project Cars, which we will actually start soon having um, live streams of the race with commentary. So as soon as that gets working, because we had internet issues last time, um, we'll be able to, I'll, I'll share all those on the group. Don't worry, chat room. I haven't forgotten about comment of the week. Thanks for reminding me, chat room. But um, for the record, this is the first time that Gene Z and Brad Philpot have actually been on the panel together. You two are very good friends. I will say, though, Brad, 
I'm just going to defend Jeansy for a bit because he's like a little puppy dog. Everyone thinks you're like super nice on this show. You're very mean to Jeansy. He brings it upon himself. The difference is, is he's mean to me in front of other people. I'm incredibly mean to him when it's one on one. I think you should, the, the, in front of other people's cleverer. I think you should have done that. We've had a very good and competent chat room host, Peter Goodchild. Firstly, uh, I will have my vengeance on you at this upcoming cart meeting or the next. Uh, and secondly, how have you found sitting in the chat room host chair? Scary. <laughs> Fun, scary. Yep. <laughs> and, I, and you won't have your vengeance on me at all, especially if it rains. <laughs> no, that's, absolutely, that's true. One thing I've learned is I'm absolutely useless in the wet. If you haven't heard anything recently about being, uh, confirmation of our karting event, it has been thrown up in the air a little bit. There is going to be an alternate track and an alternate date. I am going to wait till I actually put money down this time to tell you the exact details. But I think I've given you enough time to come and do it. I think we found a good price point. We're also going to do our live recording at the same venue on the same day as that karting event. So yes, I may have messed up the organization uh, on my first attempt, but in the second stab, I think you're going to be pleased. A top track, a good price with a live recording. Now then, Peter Goodchild, it falls to you to nominate a few people for comment of the week. Comment of the week. Who we got? I feel the responsibility weighing heavily on me. Here we go. Uh, Chris Fonseca, number three. If Helmut Marco demotes Hartley, will Verstappen win the race? Number two, <laughs> Fair Palum, Red Bull takes stacking out of the pit lane. And uh. number one. <laughs> oh, that took a while to sink in. Oh, no. That's really bad. Come on, Evangelos. It's got to be Evangelos. <laughs> it's got to be. <laughs> I don't think it's what you thought it was, Brad. Brad oh, right. and Max have that in common. They defend in unexpected ways. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Sorry, that's say, no say that one again because you just tripped over each other a bit. <laughs> Brad and Max have that in common. They defend in unexpected ways. <laughs> uh, is that your winner, Peter? That's my winner. I think that is a fair shout for. Comment of the week. Thank you very much for joining us for our Baku Grand Prix race review. Be sure to join us on Tuesday night where we're going to have Matthew Summerfield going up against ex-Lotus team boss Matthew Carter as they talk tech. This is one you're going to want to tune in for. Scrutineering, which is where the teams have to answer for their designs of their car, is much more interesting than you think. I promise you'll agree with me. Follow me personally at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Also, the first time I think we've also had an all-UK panel. Yeah, go home, Yanks. Boo, we don't need you. Boo, go away. We did have Matt on briefly. Oh, no, it's ruined it. Oh, he was on for 60 seconds, which he took 123 seconds over with his pre-waffle. And that was, that was really good, actually. I really enjoyed the racing 60 seconds bit. Yeah, really good. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay-clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boy's easy opening, smooth pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save- 